You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, men and women of the earth. We are so incredibly pleased that you would take anywhere from 30 to an hour and 30 minutes out of your day to join Blake and I here on the Distilling Theology podcast where we will distill some theology for you and your ears. Thank you for being here. And on that note, have a great night. We are so happy to watch <laughs> Blake, I am I am happy to be here again as usual. I have uh, I have missed you and now you are here digitally uh, presenting your face to me and I'm glad to see it. How you doing, man? Thank you for that lead in. Uh, I'm better now than I was a minute ago. Uh, yeah, man, I'm doing good. It's uh, it's a Wednesday. It's it's a one of those like Wednesday Wednesdays, and Monday was a Monday Monday. So mm. hopefully, you know, hopefully things are good. But yeah, it's been it's been a good week overall. Uh, it was really good to be back at church with the body of believers on the Lord's Day for morning and evening worship for the first mm. time in a couple of weeks because of um, the quarantine. So that was a real tremendous blessing. Morning worship was from Acts chapter two and evening worship was from Colossians chapter four. So that was just really, really good. Uh, I don't know, man. How you been? Busy, crazy. Been, uh, been a unique couple of, uh, couple of weeks. Indeed. Um, but it's been good, man. It's been, uh, refreshing. Um, if, if nothing else, my confidence in God's sovereignty has nothing been nothing but emboldened over these last few days mm. um mm. Uh, we happen to be recording this on inauguration day yeah. of our new president mm-hmm. uh yeah it's all it's mm. all i'm going to say about that but um but i am i am confident that uh that the president is not our king mm. and that uh, our king is sovereign over all of these things and goings on that happen so mm. uh I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. I'm excited for this drink tonight. Uh, yeah, same hailing, here, from, hailing from some of my homeland. Yeah. Amen, dude. Well, let's inaugurate this episode. <laughs> uh, what are we drinking tonight? Mm. Tea. No, but also, uh, <laughs> we are drinking Cronin Swedish Punch. It is the national drink in Sweden, yeah. apparently, which is awesome. It is a rum-based liqueur, which I am very excited about because I mm. absolutely love rum. Uh, yeah. It's bottled at 26% ABV or 52 proof. And apparently, this was made with rums from the West Indies, um, Demerara in Jamaica, uh, in the East Indies, Batavia, Iraq, and numerous mm. spice and bitter flavors. Cronin has exceptional depth and complexity, particularly, one of my favorite words, with a bit of citrus added. Yeah, um, I'm excited, man. It smells delicious. Why don't you carry on? 
Yeah, man. So I got introduced to this when I was working at Speakeasy 518 in Albany. We used it in a couple of classic cocktails. It's a mixer in over 50 cocktails and you can substitute it for rum and things like the daiquiri, the Mai Tai. Um, It just adds a different kind of dimension than like a white rum would. And because it's a rum based liqueur and it's this blend of rums from the Caribbean, but also from the east, you just have this very interesting combination of things. I'm a big fan of these kinds of unique spirits. It's been a long time since I've tasted this on its own. So this is either going to be amazing or it might not be great on its own because usually I had it in cocktails. I would mix it into Manhattans and things. So for myself, that's why I have a that's why I have this bottle. But the nice thing is last I checked, this bottle was like 30 bucks. So because it's a liqueur, right? So it's lower alcohol by volume and used as a mixer. But yeah, Yeah. let's see what's going on here. I'm excited. I mean, it smells good. I get a huge molassesy note um, right out of the gate. A little bit of vanilla coming through with that. Um, I get allspice and some kind of some kind of berries going on in there. But um, you know, yeah, there's a lot happening. It's it's quite uh, interesting. It's intriguing. Yeah, there's definitely. Uh... I definitely smell that um, mm. the sort of toffee smoke molasses kind of action going on. Yeah. Maybe leather. There's almost like a leathery smell. Oh, yeah. Get that. And maybe a touch of sawdust to bat with it. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely with the definitely with like a just like a, a hint of fruit. Mm-hmm. Dark fruits. It smells delicious. Yeah, Especially man. for a. Uh, for a mixer mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's been a long time i this is the first time that i have tasted this on its own in like uh two years or so so really? i i don't remember you know i could be completely off base and who knows maybe i'll be like oh this was a terrible plan <laughs> but uh we're gonna find out together so let's have our inaugural sip and uh cheers it's so mellow with that low abv i'm so used to like stuff that really kicks (laughs) and at 26 percent alcohol by volume it it almost doesn't taste like i mean i know it i know it has alcohol in it but it almost doesn't taste like alcohol Mm -hmm. Hmm. it's very sweet there's almost like a caramel honey molasses Mm -hmm. almost gingerbread Hmm. Mm mm-hmm I mean, it's it's super good. I mean, for it is very sweet for, though. Yeah, it's 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 very very heavy on the sweetness, which is probably so, why it makes such a good mixer. Yeah, and this like if you want to substitute this for a rum in a daiquiri, you mm. you combine this with like fresh squeezed lime juice, and you cut back the simple syrup a little bit from the normal recipe, and you shake it with uh, ice. I can like, see why because oh. this is this this almost has a syrupy texture mm-hmm. uh, as far as like the actual mouth feel. Oh yeah, definitely, dude. it's robust. Very, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean, no complaints for the price point, but it's definitely super, super sweet. Like this could also categorize as an after dinner type drink or a digestif. Um, yeah. Yep. You could get away with that and it would be quite good. I was just looking at the price just to see. Yeah. So 25 bucks at my local liquor store to get a 750 milliliter bottle of this. Yeah. So I mean, for bad. 25 bucks, I would buy it and drink it once in a while for sure. Yeah. But I would definitely. Yeah. That's why that's why I've had it for a year and a half and there's only 
that much go on because I yeah. have mixed it in with other things. Yeah. Um, but you start combining this with something drier and all of a sudden you have a really fun cocktail. So, yeah, oh, I bet I'm going to be nursing this for a while throughout the episode. I'm almost tempted to go get some ice and uh, pour it on the rocks, but I'm not going to do that. I'm tempted, though. <laughs> oh, that dude, I'm good. getting so I'm getting like if you ever you're like you're baking or something and you take a little like a little pinch of brown sugar mm-hmm. and you chew on that for a second like that is what's sitting in my mouth right now is this brown sugar taste yeah yeah i'm I, i'm getting that it's really like i think that's super fascinating it's spicy it's it's sweet but it's it's too sweet for me for it to be on its own more than like once in a blue moon it's dessert. yeah like it wouldn't be my go-to but um and in, in especially i think par- partially because of the low abv mm-hmm. it just is it that almost makes it too sweet Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Cause if like you took if, that same profile and punched it up, punched it up, it would be, yeah. I think a really good, a really good rum, like yeah. rum style. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of spirits. Oh, transitions. Like, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you open us in prayer with the Valley of vision as per usual, uh, folks, if you do have the Valley of vision, please join us. Page 66, uh, we are going to be reading The Convicting Spirit. Mm. Thou blessed spirit, author of all grace and comfort, come work repentance in my soul. Represent sin to me in its odious colors that I may hate it. Melt my heart by the majesty and mercy of God. Show me my ruined self and the help there is in him. Teach me to behold my creator, his ability to save, his arms outstretched, his heart big for me. May I confide in his power and love, commit my soul to him without reserve, bear his image, observe his laws, pursue his service, and be through time and eternity a monument to the efficacy of his grace, a trophy of his victory. Make me willing to be saved in his way, perceiving nothing in myself, but all in Jesus. Help me not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, be conformed to him, follow him. Imperfect, but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for my state. Give me that faith which is the means of salvation and the principle and medium of all godliness. May I be saved by grace through faith. Live by faith. Feel the joy of faith. Do the work of faith. Perceiving nothing in myself, may I find in Christ wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Amen. Mm. Man, that's con- really convicting on a number of levels. And you and I have been talking about this, about indwelling sin in believers. And mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. solution is not your disciplines or your, your efforts. The solution is this heart change that represents sin to me in its odious colors that I may hate it. Right? How do we, how do we turn yeah. away from sin? It's not because we're... Uh, you know, we're trying to fight our way through it by our strength. We'll never succeed 
It's when the Lord, it's when the Spirit changes our heart and gives us a true picture of the odiousness of sin, as the prayer says, Mm -hmm. that we may hate it. And also this line further down, right? Um, Not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for my state. That rings true, you know, today as as Christians, um, there's a lot to be discouraged in in the world. Mm-hmm. And to remember to be thankful for the state that the Lord has been pleased in his providence to place us uh, and to rest, as you were talking about earlier, in his sovereignty and his wisdom and to trust that Jesus is Lord, even if, you know, whatever the, the situation is, you know, whether we're. Yeah. I love that it just straight up starts out with come work repentance in my soul, right? This mm-hmm. idea as though we have the capability of repentance in and of ourselves, which we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, this this beautiful representation of the Spirit indwelling in us and working in us repentance, representing our sin to us and reminding us of the law and how we can't keep the law and how we need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to even begin to fulfill the work that Christ has for us. Yeah, I, I love this. It's a, it's a great, uh, beautiful um, representation of the work of the Spirit in, in the life of a believer and how it's... Uh, mm. and, and, and how... Essentially, uh, without him, without the spirit, we are unable to do the things that we're called to do. It's right. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. Well, and that's the whole picture of the gospel, right? Is not, mm-hmm. not a life of inactivity, not a life of throwing back and, and resting on our laurels or resting on, well, well, Jesus paid it all. So yeah, I don't have to do anything, but instead this transformation <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. So, what are we, uh, what are we diving into tonight? This is part two of our series. We're back in systematic yeah. theology. We're talking about pneumatology, um, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and this is part two of our kind of overview introduction. I'm very excited. Yeah, this was something I dove into early on a lot um, mm-hmm. because there was just a lot in my surrounding area, a lot of people that I knew, and this subject came up a lot. Um, so we're going to be talking about, uh, two different, basically sides of the same coin, uh, in many ways, uh, continuationism and cessationism, um, dun, 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 controversy, uh, essentially we're going to talk about what these things are and, um, define the terms and, uh, I guess kind of fill you in on what could be considered, uh, reformed or biblical, um, where, where that can, that can lead, (laughs) And then also what it isn't, uh, there's a major, uh, misrepresentation, especially from, uh, charismatic or Pentecostal individuals about what Mm. cessationism is, for example. And so we want to bust some of those myths as it were, um, so that you guys can have a a clear, uh, distilled picture, uh, of these two, of these two views of, uh, of the gifts of the spirit. Um, So Blake, why don't you start out with uh, defining continuationism for us, and then I'll jump the helm and jump into cessationism. Sure. Uh, I also want to preface by saying that I was a continuationist for mm-hmm. a good portion of my life. Um, I'm just going to put my as was I. Yeah, just going to put my cards on the table and say I'm a cessationist now. But um, <laughs> surprise. But uh, I have some, and I and I also want to preface this conversation by saying I have some very dear friends who are continuationists who I love and respect, who are in ministry, Mm -hmm. who are wonderful believers. So I'm not like, we want to preface this by saying this is not like 
continuationism yeah continuation and cessationism are not a salvific issue um it can assuming you're talking yeah i was just gonna say yeah right well (laughs) right and we could preface that like continuationism does well i think it's a it's a broad term that can entail some of the extreme fringe versions like bethel um where they're like literally doing pagan practices uh and Mm -hmm. calling it christian um most continuationists I know or charismatics loosely or broadly um, don't hold that kind of a perspective. So this this definition comes from Theopedia uh, and it says continuationism is the belief that the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit taught in the Bible, such as prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healings, miracles, etc. have not ceased and are available for the believer today, referencing 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 7. Uh, a side note about that, just to show some of the spectrum of continuationism. On the one hand, you have people who would say, well, yeah, like, of course, like God can, God can do what he wants, but that's not, you know, the normative operation within the church. And, uh, you know, those things are still available to us. And then on the far extreme other side, you have people saying all of us can do all of those things all the time on our own whim. And then somewhere in the middle on this sliding scale, you have people that I've encountered. And I, years ago, I went through the uh, Experiencing God class. I forgot the guy's name who wrote it, uh, Richard Blackaby. And throughout that, he his perspective was, well, which was weird because he was such a, a synergist and an Arminian, but he had this like weirdly uh, Calvinistic view of the movement of the spirit where he would be like, well, you don't go over and heal somebody. But if the Lord stirs you and tells you to go pray for that person to be healed, then you go. Which like it's you're like in this stepping stone where you're moving in the direction of, well, ultimately it's God's mm-hmm. it's God's prompting. And then and then comes into the question of what miracles are, which we can get into in a minute, because that for me, understanding the theological usage of the word miracle and the way it's defined was a big turning point for me in like comfortably calling myself a cessationist. Because I don't know about you, but for a while I called myself a, a cautious continuationist. Mm-hmm. It's a fun term. Yeah, because it's like, I think prophecy and tongues and, and healings and miracles can happen, but I'm very cautious to label many things that people call uh, those miracles. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I don't want to limit God, but I also can't abide a lot of these abuses that we've perceived. But anyways, before we get too deep into that, uh, Justin, what is uh, what is cessationism from the same definition from the same website, just so we're kind of... Yeah, Uh, Uh, cessationism in Christian theology is the view that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, such as healings or tongues uh, or prophetic revelation, um, often called the revelatory gifts, uh, is another term for that, um, pertain to the apostolic era only, and they served a purpose that was unique to establishing the early church, and it passed away before the canon of Scripture was closed. Essentially, those uh, gifts were given to specific people for a specific purpose, uh, the building of the church, the crediting of, of Jesus' ministry, um, mm. and so on. And only certain people were granted those gifts uh, and that they are not something that we should expect normatively in the church, uh, mm. that you and I would not be given the gift to just walk down a hallway and heal people in a hospital or those kinds of things. I think there's, uh, obviously, like you said, we're both cessationists now. Uh, aside from the biblical evidence, I think there's a lot of historical evidence for this being true as well, mm-hmm. um, insofar as that we haven't, really any history of seeing uh, what these biblical gifts looked like being practiced properly (laughs) throughout history or in the modern day. You know, a lot of what people call prophecy or tongues or 
healing nowadays. I have yet to see it done biblically or well or accurately. Uh, sure. If we were to even use the Old Testament definitions uh, of prophecy or things like that. So, oh, yeah. yeah, there's, there's, um, that's, I think, historically, traditionally, the sort of reformed view uh, would be a more cessationist leaning view. And there's a lot of things that, that cessationism is not, um, mm. which is, uh, I think, a very important thing to touch on. Because you get a lot of people, especially from those who don't like cessationists, such mm-hmm. as us, uh, who will misrepresent it quite drastically. They will say things yeah. like, we don't believe that miracles can happen, uh, right. or that we don't believe in any miracles at all. Um, obviously, uh, we would heartily disagree with that. Obviously, the, the one of the most important and I think significant miracles that we see on a regular basis is the fact that anyone has repentance and turns to Christ. <laughs> Sure. That is a miracle in and of itself, the fact that anyone is saved. Mm. Uh, on top of that, there is no reason that we would have to believe that God can't or doesn't uh, intervene in the world mm-hmm. and, yeah. and cause miraculous things to happen. Of course, uh, we believe with God's sovereignty, in fact, that God is very involved <laughs> mm. in, 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 the, in the affairs of men. Yeah, He is sovereign. He decrees all things that come to pass. So that includes things that are what we would consider miraculous. But that doesn't mean, again, that we believe certain people are given certain gifts uh, in in, yeah. in sort of a uh, apostolic way. It, mm-hmm. I think it also encompass, uh, encompasses the um, the understanding that certain offices are closed, like apostle. Mm-hmm. Uh, apostle is not a, a, a title that you can gain. Wait, uh, Justin, <laughs> no, I saw Apostle Timothy on Facebook <laughs> selling a book, and he has a conference coming up. Yeah, no, fam. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, uh, apostle biblically, um, mm-hmm. the qualification. Now, I should specify uh, capital A apostle, right? Like mm-hmm. the apostles, like the office yeah. of Jesus apostle, not somebody who uh, is an adherent to Christianity, which could be technically considered lowercase apostle. But right, uh, capital A apostle, like the title, uh, like the twelve, or like Paul. There was biblical. There's biblical qualifications for that. Okay, there's only there's only the twelve and Paul who are named apostles. First of all, in yeah. addition, uh, all of them were physical witnesses of the resurrected Christ uh, yeah. on earth. You know, not not in some vision or something like that, but Jesus actually was there <laughs> with yeah. them uh, in the flesh, and and that's one of the many qualifications in which you would have to be a part of to be even considered that. You know, I mean, Paul yeah. even says, "I, an apostle of Jesus Christ." And then qualifies that it's because he saw the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and mm. so that's that's important. That's important. So those and things like prophet, right? Uh, the office mm-hmm. of prophet for the sake of uh, either um, prophesying things to come, uh, namely things about Christ yeah. uh, and, and pointing towards his uh, death, burial, resurrection, mm-hmm. and so on in his ministry. There was qualifications for that. If you got, yeah. if you got a prophecy wrong, you got stoned to death. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know. Imagine if we still applied that today, be a lot yeah. of dead, uh, dead wolves, false prophets. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, there's certain offices that we believe are closed now um, mm-hmm. because we have the canon of scripture. Right? I think of uh, uh, the story. You know, hey, please, you know, bring me back so I can tell my family. Oh, yeah. uh, and God says no. Uh, they have Moses and the prophets. Right. And uh, if they're not going to believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe even if a dead man is raised, yeah. uh, which, again, would further also go back to our soteriology. Right. <laughs> we right. we're not going to believe unless God grants us repentance and faith. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's the scripture, it's the word that saves. It's not miracles. Uh, miracles can happen from uh, pagans. <laughs> yeah, you know, think of think of uh, Pharaoh, right? And his his I like to call him Pharaoh's wizards, right? He uh, <laughs> he had miracle workers that were doing tricks and uh, and things that seemed miraculous as well. It's not as though um, because something is miraculous, it's from God or that it's right. um, biblical. Uh, so let's not chase miracles. Let's chase God's word that we know is true, forever settled in heaven. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I got a couple things there, right? Yeah, so um, if you go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, to exactly what you're saying about signs and wonders, uh, this is Jesus, right? Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, let's back this up mm-hmm. real fast because I think this is the passage where um, uh, Stephen Furtick said, uh, there's <laughs> one thing even Jesus can't know. There's one thing even the Son of God can't know. Even mm-hmm. Jesus can't unlock your unbelief or something or overcome you know, your override. Just, yeah, he can't uh, override your disbelief. Okay, anyways, well, besides the fact that that's heresy, um, <laughs> Uh, Matthew 11, verse 20, 21 here, Jesus says, Woe to you, uh, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works, these are signs, wonders, miracles, healing the blind, healing the deaf, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and, ash- and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And woe to you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? Mm-hmm. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And what are we saying here, right? Jesus is obviously making a, a, point, it's a twofold point, right? But the point that I want to zero in on in this moment is he's saying to these cities, you aren't believing like I'm doing all these amazing signs and wonders and you're not repenting. You're not believing in them and they have the Lord of glory in front of them and they're not believing what he has to say. I also wanted to, to pop a reference there in first Corinthians chapter 13 um, verse eight, love never ends as for prophecies. They will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish things for now. We see dimly. uh, We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face now in part, then we shall know in full, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So that passage on its own, I think on the face of it, at least, you know, you're talking about the second coming, but then we'll put, put that up with, um, Hebrews chapter two, verse three, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who had heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the spirit, uh, distributed according to his will. In other words, these signs and wonders, when we're talking about miracles in a biblical theological category, 
we're not just talking about well the miracle of birth or even uh, dare I go so far as to say the miracle of regeneration. When we're talking about miracle in the theological sense, we narrow the term to be a very specific sign. I, I've it's been a while since I heard the specific definition spelled out, so bear with me. But like a sign that goes against nature that only could be done by God and that validates the message of the messenger as being divine, right? Because what did the prophets do? What did Moses do when he brought the law? The prophets bring the word of the Lord to the people, right? And we see this, and then the priest atones for the people, and then the king brings the laws to the people and rules the people, and the priest brings the people to the Lord. And But the prophet brings the word of the Lord to the people. Mm-hmm. And the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament prophets, also known as the apostles, and of course our Lord, there's a flurry of miracles around prophetic utterance that is canonical, scriptural word. Like, right, when the prophet raises someone from the dead and their their ministry is validated by this miraculous sign, then when they say, thus saith the Lord, we must submit to the word of God. And so that's part of why, part of the reason why I've embraced cessationism, because the canon is closed, right? We don't have apostles and prophets in those offices. Um, not like not like that. So if somebody today does a, does you know prays for someone and they get healed, they don't then get to say, "Well, let's say it the Lord." And here's the Book of Mormon. You know, here's our Third Testament. I don't know <laughs> right, what, that. Right. What are your thoughts on that? That was my. No, I I agree. Um, there's 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 a lot of abuse of that in the in the Pentecostal community, right? Um, I mean, first of all, totally ignoring the history of the Pentecostal movement starting in the 1900s uh, in in California, (laughs) which uh, should say a lot already about where the theology is coming from. But there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of erroneous theology that comes along with uh, misunderstanding or the misapplication of these gifts. First of all, um, I really heartily agree with uh, the the John Owen statement, right? Um, uh, If, if, if you have private revelation that agrees with scripture, it's needless. We don't need it. We have scripture. And if it disagrees with scripture, well, therefore obviously it is then false. So first of all, you're, you're ruling out the whole, the whole private revelation altogether. Why, why do you need that? You don't need that. Uh, Scripture, uh, right. Scripture says uh, that, that scripture is uh, everything we need to be a fully equipped man of God, fully equipped, not partially equipped. Um, I, reading a little bit from Ligonier um, mm. here, the charismatic and Pentecostal movement actually have a view of the Holy Spirit's ministry that's not high enough, right? They hyper-focus on the charismatic, or on the Holy Spirit in, the, in this movement, mm-hmm. yet their view of the Holy Spirit is not actually um, accurate, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, in dividing mm-hmm. believers into two classes, right, those who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and who have not been so baptized, uh, yeah. By doing that, they fail to see that all Christians, all Christians have been blessed with the Spirit's power and gifts for ministry, mm. uh, which is contrary to Moses' teaching, right? Um, Moses mm-hmm. hoped that all uh, that all of God's people would one day have the Spirit, which obviously uh, in the, the New Covenant we do. Uh, mm-hmm. Joel's prediction that every believer would receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and Paul's teaching that all Christians have been gifted for ministry. All yeah. Christians have been gifted for ministry. Uh, referencing numbers and Joel and first Corinthians. Um, mm. And then additionally, right when we jump into something like tongues, uh, they err uh, quite heavily uh, in this as well. Um, you know, mm. even if we were to affirm that tongues was still continuing uh, as a gift, 
uh, 1 Corinthians 12 uh, clearly states that it is uh, that not every believer will have that gift, first of all. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how they focus on that. And uh, I've even heard, if you don't speak in tongues, the least of the gifts, then then you obviously um, don't know God because you're not even practicing the least of the gifts, right? Oh, yeah, it becomes the litmus test. Like if you're... Right. Oh, or the other way I've heard it described is like, yeah, like the Ligonier article, right? You have the haves and the have-nots in the kingdom of God. You have those who who believe in Jesus, but they're they're not really full. Like they might make it to heaven, and, and then in some theologies you don't if you don't right. speak in tongues. But then uh, until you speak in tongues and then you receive the Spirit in this outpouring way, right. then you're a real Christian, right. which is well. Eh. So in addition, right, the the gift which is described uh, as the gift of tongues in our day, mm. nowadays. You know the heebie-jeebies he bought a Hyundai over and over again uh, appears different than the tongues in Pentecost, right? The tongues that are described in Acts uh, two uh, are actual human languages that are just not native to the speakers. So we have lots of people from different places speaking different languages, hearing the gospel in their own tongue, right? Mm-hmm. Earthly languages that the uh, that the apostles couldn't have possibly learned all of those languages or didn't know all those languages. They were supernaturally given the ability to preach in the people supernaturally heard in their own language. That is an amazing gift, absolutely incredible gift. Um, that's not what I see uh, in churches today uh, as regards to speaking in tongues. Um, the arguments uh, that I've heard are, are generally pretty weak, this idea that um, they try to translate the utterances that cannot be understood or groanings, right? Uh, mm-hmm. into whatever this weird syllable language is. <laughs> well, is it the tongues of men or of angels? Right. Well, yeah. And and if you read that in context, right, he's not saying you can speak in the tongues of men and in angels. He's saying even if you could speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Right. Because isn't that it, right in the immediate context where he's like, uh, if I have all knowledge, if I have all faith, and like those are obviously, we he's don't obviously have making hyperbolic, hyperbolic points Yep. To show the inferiority of, of the gifts, supernatural <laughs> gifts compared to the, the fruit gospel. of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Mm. So um, we have we have basically just nonsensical utterances uh, yeah. that are being used and called tongues. Mm-hmm. And then obviously tongue speaking in church history is sparse that you don't see for the last 2000 years since the new you know the the closing of the new testament right the the end the the ending of the canon of scripture uh mm-hmm. with all of the the church fathers and the uh, uh puritans and in all of our church history uh there's really not much to go on as regards to those particular gifts in general not just tongues but uh most of these uh, revelatory gifts um so either mm-hmm. uh they were not important enough to write about <laughs> or they didn't happen <laughs> Right. Well, and also to your point about Pentecost, right? Let's just look at Acts chapter two. This is from the English mm-hmm. Standard Version, starting in verse one. When the day the of Pentecost <laughs> had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues also known as other languages, as mm-hmm. the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, before I keep reading here, before this, Jesus said, not many days from now, the Spirit will come upon you with power, right? So this is a fulfill, a specific fulfillment as Christ in his role as prophet is prophesying to his apostles and saying, this is going to happen. 
And then it does. And in a whirlwind, in this magical day, and I, and I don't remember if it was in an audiobook I was listening to or in a podcast episode, so forgive me for the reference, but uh, there was a comment that some theologies are like, have you had your personal day of Pentecost? And the speaker said, what do you mean? Pers- have I had my personal incarnation? Have I had my personal day? What are you talking about? That's a one-time event. Like, yeah. this is not a, <laughs> this is not something that's to be repeated. Just like the incarnation is once for all the atoning death of Christ. You know, have you had your own personal crucifixion? No, like that's insanity. Um, yeah. But we do that with Pentecost, but keep reading here. Uh, verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, Interesting. Gentiles, the, 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 the Jewish diaspora come back to Jerusalem. And at the sound of this, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Yeah. And they were amazed. And, astonished. and then the, Luke doesn't leave us wondering what he means here. They were mm-hmm. amazed and astonished saying, are these not all speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear them, each of us in our own native language? Parthians, and then he lists out all these locations, right. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, not just random stuff, not just general things, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? But others began mocking, saying they're filled with new wine. And then Peter's sermon just, and he goes through and preaches what I would say, you know, as a, from my persuasion, goes through the covenant of grace and shows this thread from Genesis to Revelation. But however you see that, he's pointing us to Christ. He's revealing by inspiration of the Spirit, Christ through the Old Testament, how Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so whether you hold a Presbyterian or a Baptist persuasion, we can rejoice in this pinnacle of revelation that's happening here and this mm-hmm. powerful sermon. Uh, anyways, but literal languages and Luke tells us what languages they were. <laughs> well, in what's interesting too, is even when uh, Paul is addressing those who, uh, who are, who are doing so in Corinth, right? He, he's saying uh, it should be one or two at a time and there should mm-hmm. be someone to interpret. Yeah. Um, what do you interpret if you're not speaking any language that's understandable mm-hmm. to interpret? Um, there's no, there's no, I mean, you'd have to not only have a gift of something that seems to be in total, uh, opposition to all of what we just talked about, uh, Mm -hmm. some special gift just for that one, two little people at a time thing. Uh, and then another person with another new gift that we don't hear about anywhere else, which is interpreting gibberish, uh, to mean something. (laughs) Whereas when we when we understand rightfully that these are tongues that people otherwise haven't otherwise learned um and that there's someone there who can interpret that for them uh to the to because what does it edify you or anyone else if you're not speaking anything of substance right when paul even Uh, says that right in uh in first corinthians yeah exactly so yeah um it's one of those things where hermeneutic, right, and in, in, in reading the scripture in its whole context, rather than cherry picking out these verses and coming up with new meanings for them, um, is super important. Super right. important. So, well, absolutely. Also, I mean, we yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say in 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 the chapter on spiritual gifts, right? How does Paul open up this part of his letter in First Corinthians chapter twelve? Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols 
however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Mm. Now, he's not talking about all these miraculous gifts and this and that. He's speaking, and I know he goes into some things here, but he's speaking specifically there, right? What is the, what is the point? If we are in the Spirit, we will recognize and submit and obey now that Jesus is Lord, even though he is Lord, right? We're merely having our eyes open to it and our hearts uh, delighting in that truth. And no one speaking in the Spirit can ever say Jesus is accursed. Now, obviously, I just said the English words because I'm reading it from the Bible. Obviously, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about no one can take a an attitude of cursedness towards the Savior if they're in the Spirit of God. Um, and he's also talking about the different members, that there's different distributions. We do have differing talents within the body, right? And yet there's that 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And so what's he saying here? By the Spirit, what's the Spirit trying to tell us is that these things that we're pursuing, um, even if all the apostolic offices were open, that's not what we're supposed to be pursuing. Now we would both affirm that they're not opened, right? God still answers prayer. God still heals people. I believe that with all my heart. I've seen it, mm-hmm. and yet that's not what we're talking about. Though we're not talking about I prayed for someone and they got healed, and now all of a sudden I can write a new. I can write Blake's Blake's epistle to yeah. the church in Camden. <laughs> Nor does that mean you can just heal anybody at the command of anything. A lot right. of times you'll see these guys saying, I declare this, I declare you, I declare... Well, Kenneth Copeland. I, de- I demand. I, declare, I demand. <laughs> you get... <cup. laughs> yeah. Um, we don't declare anything. Mm, all right. Uh, all right. So God is the one who issues eternal decrees. He's done <laughs> so. And who are you, oh man... <laughs> To speak back to God. And who are you to think that you have the authority or that God gave you the authority to demand or command anything? Mm. The only thing that you can request humbly is Mm. for repentance and faith. And then Mm -hmm. from there, make your, right, what does scripture say? Make your requests known to God through prayer and supplication, right? Mm -hmm. If, of course we pray for healing when someone is sick or hurt or broken. Of course we pray for healing, but we request it humbly from the God who takes life and gives life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to demand anything of him or declare anything because that's frankly not your place. Yeah. Amen, man. It's like we we get so caught up on this. and I And I think what happens oftentimes is, at least for me, I brushed up against the idea of cessationism and what I heard was, well, God doesn't answer prayer and, mm-hmm. and, uh, God does, and, and the scripture doesn't mean what it says, but that's not, that's not what's going on here. Like it, it's far from putting the Holy spirit in some auxiliary place. It, it recognizes what we're going to talk about, um, next week. I'm not trying to jump the shark too far here, but like the person and work of the Holy spirit far transcends 
spiritual gifts that we obsess oh, over and goodness, argue over. <laughs> and we get so caught up on it and, and fixated that we miss the person of the spirit. Sinclair Ferguson in a lecture series from Ligonier called the, the Holy Spirit, the forgotten person, because he is so misunderstood. Yeah. And we, we view the spirit uh, oftentimes as a genie in a bottle. And like we, we recognize, oh, I think, or if you're, if you're from Bethel, quite literally you see the Holy spirit, like the genie from Aladdin. Oh yeah, that came out of little little lady Johnson's mouth. Yeah, not to mention the grave sucking thing. Bethel gets weird. Yeah, that's a whole other. Check right. out the the cultish episodes on Bethel. That's yeah, just a, that's good. Go do that because I don't have the energy to. <laughs> I don't have the emotional energy to think about that. <laughs> it's just exhausting. I also wanted to read this. Um, we've we did this a while ago with our doctrine of scripture, but from uh, the Westminster Confession, and it's basically word for word in the London Baptist article. Uh, chapter one, article one, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness and wisdom and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give him that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will, that his will unto the church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for a more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same wholly unto writing, which maketh the holy scriptures to be most necessary. These former ways of God revealing his will unto his people now being ceased, right? And that's Hebrews 1. Yeah. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Now, a couple thoughts on that. God spoke to our fathers, Abraham, Moses, David, by the prophets. That was the way of God communicating his word. He's revealing his word and his will to us. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. But then what's interesting is that what follows is not a series of quotations from the sayings of Jesus, as you might expect from the sayings of the prophets, the words, because John 1, he is the word. (laughs) He is the full revelation, (laughs) right? He is the image of the invisible God. And we'll talk about Christology another day, but... There's something, there's so much happening in this passage, right? The reason, the reason the canon is closed isn't arbitrary. It's because Christ has come and done his work. Mm-hmm. And now I've heard it said that the, you know, the preacher is the prophet in so far as the preacher proclaims the word of the Lord to the people of God. But how does he do that? Not by new revelation, not by all these signs and wonders that, that prop up his ministry, uh, but by proclaiming clearly and plainly what God has revealed to us in his word, in the scripture. Amen. Amen. <sighs> Tingly. Christ and him crucified, man. Yeah. Like what else? Highly, you know? highly, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Getting fired up over here. It was a long day, but now I'm like ready to go ten, 12 <laughs> rounds. This is great, man. I just, ah. Yeah. That's, that's just it. I, you know, we have, we have people chasing, uh, I think pridefully, uh, and in our sin, we have people chasing an experience. We have people chasing some sort of emotional high. 
I mean, isn't that why so much of the church now looks like a, a rock concert, right? Sure. You can go and you feel like you're getting this emotional high and mm-hmm. oh, you feel like you're connected with God because you're because you're weeping, right? Yeah. Not that God should never bring you to tears, but mm. why are you in tears? Is it because of the emotion of the music? I mean, pagans go to pagan music festivals or worship festivals, let's call them, because that's really what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go and they get emotional and they cry and they're touched. Music is powerful, right? God made music and yeah. it's powerful, uh, but it can be abused. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people love chasing these emotional highs or these spiritual experiences. Um, but they hate God by nature, so they do it in a way that they can get what they want without appealing to the God of all creation, right? Mm-hmm. God most often does extraordinary things through ordinary means. Ooh, all right. So, uh, right, <laughs> uh, if you look throughout all of Scripture, you'll see that. You'll see that for the vast mm-hmm. majority, like we read of these great miracles, but the vast majority of Scripture, preaching the word, Gathering with the saints, prayer, worship, repentance, faith. Those are all things that are ordinary things that we do. Yeah. Uh, and that's when the most extraordinary things happen. We come to know God. We're sanctified. And one day we'll be glorified. What could be more miraculous than those things? Right. Yeah. That's what the Christian life is about. Sanctification. Man's chief end, right, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. It's not... Uh, gold dust falling out of your vents and feathers falling down and, and, you know, people's uh, slightly, you know, the pandemic of people's legs, one being longer than the other. <laughs> Looking at you, Todd White, right? Uh, this idea that everybody needs to get their legs straightened out. Uh, we're not chasing after these miracles mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's not what the gospel is. That's not what the purpose of redemption is. It's the repentance of sin and turning towards Christ. Um, experience or not, <laughs> yeah. well, doesn't just, matter. Yeah. yeah, and the flip side of that, right? Like, could God in your lifetime and your experience do something over and against nature? Absolutely. Sure. But if you live your entire Christian life from conversion to death, and you never see any miraculous, supernatural, crazy thing happen, where's your faith? Where's my faith? Right. Is my faith in, well, God's going to fix this and that. I mean, look at some of the apostles. Look at Job. Mm -hmm. Look at some of the Psalms. The Lord sometimes hides his face in those ways and does not answer those prayers in the way that we think. Mm -hmm. And yet, what are we looking for? I mean, read read Hebrews, right? It talks about all these who died in faith, looking forward to the promise, not seeing it. Mm -hmm. But they're trusting because they're looking to a city whose maker and builder is God. And they are looking forward, just like we now are looking back to the accomplished work of Jesus. It all hinges there. And if yeah. that's where our faith is, right, what is, what is the Spirit doing? The Spirit is taking us from people who hate God, who hate his word, who hate his law, and is giving us a new heart, taking away our heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, and translating us or transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun, right? What What's the means that God, that the Father uses to move us? It's the Holy Spirit. And Amen. the Spirit preserves us in our weakness. He intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And the spirit preserves us to the last day and will ultimately be the power of resurrection of new life. But we'll talk about that more next week when we talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, boy, as we sip <laughs> Whistle Pig 10 year barrel proof rye. It's been a while since we've had a rye, so that'll be a fun one to jump into. Hopefully we don't go to a rye. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, also. Guys, if you haven't yet, check us out on social media. Uh, We have, of course, a Facebook page, which you can like, a Facebook group, which you can join and socialize with us and with other sage, stage, reformed believers. Uh, Truly an awesome group. Uh, Well over 600 people now. Um, It's growing like crazy. We have a blast there. Uh, Drink recommendations, book recommendations, theological questions, robust discussion, and easily the most relaxed and kind reformed Facebook group you'll mm-hmm. find online. Yeah. Uh, and that's not our review. That's somebody else's review. <laughs> Amen. Um, Amen. Check us out on Instagram at distilling theology, you get tons of awesome pictures, tons of great content, recommendations of books and whiskeys and things of that nature. Use hashtag distilling mm-hmm. theology. You may show up on the page. It'd be mm-hmm. awesome. Um, Check us out there. Go to uh, go to um, distillingtheology.com. Go there. Do it. Please. Or don't. It's Just up to you. It. You have free will. <laughs> no. Go to distillingtheology.com. Uh, you, can, uh, you can join us there as well. Get all the podcast episodes. You can see our social media there. Uh, and you know, I've been thinking lately... Maybe we'll get uh, get some social media action going on. Some of these new apps just for Ooh, funzies, you know? I like Maybe that. A little MeWe, a little Gab. Whoa. Maybe see if Parler comes back. Who knows? <laughs> Living on the edge, people. Living on the edge, just like we are week after week because we're not sure if we're going to be still here. But you know what? We are still members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, and we would commend all of them including Assurance of Pardon, The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, The Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Seeker Start, Sippin' on Theology, and The Steady Anchor Podcast. To get a never-ending flow of doxological, theological, and Reformed theology podcasts in your feed, head over to reformedpodcasts.com. You can subscribe to the mega feed and get all these shows and their entire back catalogs loaded into your podcatcher. And uh, guys, it's it's more than I can keep up with in a week. So I'm sure if you're if you feel that you need some more content in your life, some more podcasts, definitely head over there and check that out. Also, don't forget to check out shopdistillingtheology.com where you have Covenant Theology is Distilled Theology merch. We have hoodies. We have shirts. We have blankets. We have hats. We have mugs. Check it out. Get you some swag. Some reformed swag. Perseverance of the swag. (laughs) Head on over there. Check it out. Uh, We really appreciate you. Uh, If you want, join us on Patreon, where you can get a discount on the store items, uh, but also uh, extended conversations, like early release episodes, live streamed when we record them, like right now, totally unedited and raw. Uh, You get exclusive bonus content there, um, and it's only uh, $4.99 a month. That is less than the price of Netflix times two. Uh, So check us out. And also, if you go to $14.99 a month after a few months, you'll get an exclusive 
mug for patrons only, as well as some other content that is in the works. Oh. Guys, we really appreciate you. Uh, we we pray for you. We love you. And uh, guys, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. There's the outro. Yeah. <laughs> We're both just like it. Oh, yeah. man. You know, I forgot to get in a Hemis of Brockle. Ooh. I just throw that in randomly in the middle of the episode. <laughs> Ding. Maybe I'll put it on the patron tag. Who knows? Hard uh, to say. It is a good discussion, man. Yeah, man. That was fun. I also just enjoy episodes where we get to just read large patches of scripture and yes. just let it speak. Because, like, that record in Acts, once I saw that, the... Once I saw that Luke was telling us explicit languages, <laughs> it became really hard for me to interpret that in any other way than actual right. historical languages. Right. And what was the purpose? It wasn't so that they were awesome and had superpowers. It was to glorify the mighty works of God. Right. Right. And to edify those who are listening. Hmm. Right. All right. You, you can only be edified if you know what you're hearing. <laughs> hmm. You know, you're not going to be edified walking into a room and have a whole bunch of people saying she bought a Hyundai over and over again. That's not helpful. It's not useful. 